Pastor Javen will continue the series called Her Story, where we are looking at four different stories of four different women in the Bible. Today's story is about Ruth, and her story is one of redemption. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. Uh, last week we started this series called Her Story, and we're looking at uh, the stories of four different women in, in Scripture and how their stories are all part of the gospel story. Last week we looked at the story of Rahab. We said her story is a story of rescue. We saw through her story the, the demonstration of God's promises at work, God's pardon, God's pride, prize, and how God, uh, God's purposes want to work through our lives. This week we're going to look at the story of a young woman that who shows us her determined faithfulness and her heart to serve through her mother-in-law and the desire she has for that, how it opened the door for redemption to take place in her life and in her mother-in-law's life. Her story, it's, as I said, it's a part of the gospel story. Her story is a story of redemption. It's the story of Ruth. Now, Ruth's story, uh, the book of Ruth follows the book of Judges. And we need to kind of understand where we are, just like we did last week with Rahab. We need to understand the context of where we are in in the life of Ruth and what's taking place here for God's people. Short answer, things aren't great. Um, But what, I mean, we ended with Rahab on a high, right? The, The people of Israel had been able to go in and take the promised land, the land that God had promised to them from the beginning. They, they, uh, they, they, they began, they went into Canaan, Canaan. They were able to make Jericho their, their home. They began to make this region. Their home is what we know of today as Israel and that, that area. And, uh, and so all was good. Joshua was leading his people. We get to the end of the book of Joshua. Joshua makes his famous speech to, uh, to the people. And he begins to tell them, look, following God is not always easy. And you're always going to have temptations from, uh, from your past and from the gods of your ancestors to come along and try to sway you and pull you back away from, from Yahweh, from, from God. And so he made this famous speech and it gives that famous line. Maybe you've heard it before. He tells him, look, you need to choose today who you're going to follow. And he said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. That's what we're going to choose. That's the pattern I'm going to set for my children. Joshua says, that's the pattern we're going to live by in our family. And so, uh, so he lays out that speech. We get into the book of Judges. We see that the people don't do so great. They say, I'm going to follow God, but they don't do so great at following God. And then we get to the end of the book of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25. And we see this final statement of the book of Judges. In those days, Israel had no king. In other words, there was no leader for the people. And all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. In other words, they were living under their own authority. That even the authority of God was not the authority that they were living under. It was their own Authority, And this is how they were living. This was the culture that Ruth was living in. Now, here's the good news in this, though. In the middle of a culture, in the middle of a, of a people who were ignoring God, God had never forsaken them. God was still working for them. God was still working behind the scenes. And he was going to work through the life of Ruth. Ruth, the book of Ruth opens up by introducing us to Ruth's in-laws, Elimelech and Naomi. Right? This is her father and mother-in-law. And uh, they, there was this great famine uh, that had come about in the land. Now think about this. This was the land that they were promised, that God had promised them. This was a land that was flourishing, that was fruitful, that was productive. But the sin of the people had turned God's blessings into famine. This is what's happening. 
And so they decided they're going to leave Bethlehem and they're going to go to Moab, a region outside of the promises of God. So they go to this land and they go to live in this place. Well, Lemmy passes away. Let me let you get it. Let me. All right, that's his nickname. If you didn't know, um, he passes away, but he doesn't leave Naomi without. She has two sons, and the the sons' names, the way they pronounce them, is uh, is Maclon and uh, Chiklon. All right, that's that's how they say their name. But here's the meaning of it. Meanings in these days had there was a a reason they would name their children. That's why I made the joke last week about uh, who uh, Rahab married. It's, it's, his name is spelled S A L. M-O-N, right? And uh, it's like the fish. And so I don't know, right? God, you guys don't have my sense of humor. It's, I mean, that's funny. I mean, but anyway, so, um, so, so they named their children. Here's the meaning of their names, all right? Maklon means sickly. Shiklon means pining or yearning or longing. All right. So typically when, when a child was born, they're looking at the situation, they're naming their kids based off of this. Imagine, right? The first one's born. They look at the child. Well, he's sickly. Let's, uh, let's name him McClellan. And then the second one's born and they're like, Ooh, I was hoping for a lot more there. All right. So let's name him Chickline. Right. I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, it could be, it could be that that's, it, it was more along the circumstances and the situations they were living in. They've famine, you know, all that they, they name it, but still imagine you're these boys going and trying to find a significant other. Right. And they walk up to a lady. Hey, <laughs> I'm sickly. How you doing? Right. I mean, that's just doesn't, <laughs> doesn't always play out. Right. You didn't think it would, but but they, uh, but they, it works. They, they end up marrying, uh, they get some wives and, uh, they get a wife. And one of the wives that, that, that marries one of these guys is, is, is Ruth. And, uh, and so she joins this family and, uh, and she becomes a part of them. And then we see that Naomi's two sons die. And so now all Naomi is left with is living in a foreign land with foreign da- daughter-in-laws. So she decides that she's going to go back to her home. And this is where we pick up our story. We're going to read, this is going to be the bulk of our reading uh, today. And and then we'll look at other verses, but Ruth chapter one, we're going to start at verse eight. And this is where Naomi has decided to return to her home. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, she said, go back to your mother's homes, go back to, to your own homes. And may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. And then she kissed them goodbye and they all broke down. They all wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. So we obviously see there is some form of relationship that's been built between Naomi and her daughter-in-laws, right? There's a closeness that has been been built. But Naomi replied, she said, "Why, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husband's? No, my daughters, return to your parents' home, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Just real quick, that word possible that we see in that verse, some translations, you may have a different translation that translates that word as hope. I told you last week that when Rahab was told to throw out the cord from her window, the red cord from her window, that 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 word is translated hope in other places. This is one of those places. It's one of the first times we actually see the word hope in the Old Testament. And what Naomi is saying is she's saying to her daughter-in-laws, even if God gave me a thread of hope 
and I birthed a child. You, there's no way that you, you could wait long enough for that child to grow up and you could then marry that child and, and continue on in your life. So she's saying, you know, you guys just need to go back to your homes. She says, would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again, they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you live, I'll live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I'll die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. So did you notice that when Naomi comes into back into her home, into Bethlehem, the people seem excited that Naomi's back. Is it Naomi? Right? So they're, they're, they're thrilled. Naomi's back home and they're, they're greeting her with love and with open arms. And Naomi quickly says, look, don't call me that. She's saying, my identity, since I left, my identity has totally changed. Who you knew me as when I was here in my home under the promises of God is different now than who I am when I have walked out from under his promises. And she's coming back. She says, my name used to be Naomi, which means sweet, which means pleasant, which means a delight. And that's obviously what she was because the way the people were greeting her. But now she's saying, call me Mara, which means bitter. She has embraced this identity to say, I want to be bitter. And she makes this interesting statement. She says, I went away full, but I've come back empty. But remember the reason they went away? They were in famine. You see, to the very beginning of Ruth, that's why they left the place. They were in famine. How can she go away full if it was a time of famine? Isn't that the reason she left? Because she wasn't full? But it seems to be that Naomi's realizing she was more full than what they understood because she was under the blessings of God and she had a family. She had a husband, she had kids, but now she's lost all of that. And Naomi's making a mistake. There's a problem here because what Naomi is believing and you hear it in her words is she's believing that because she's lost everything else, that God has also abandoned her and God has put her in this place. And so she's making a choice to see life from that perspective and to choose to live bitter and in disappointment. But Ruth is choosing a different determination. Ruth clung to Naomi. Even though she saw Naomi making this choice to live this way, Ruth was saying, I am determined for something different. Ruth saw past disappointment 
when Naomi couldn't. And Ruth decided it was better for her to go live with a bitter mother-in-law instead of going back to her home. Some of you are trying to figure that one out right now, aren't you? I love my mother-in-law too. But she said, she said, I want to go wherever you go. And I want your God to be my God. That is a powerful statement because Ruth is coming from a land that did not follow God. That did not follow Yahweh. They did not follow the one true God. They had all kinds of different gods. That provided, they thought provided means in different ways. Gods of fertility, gods of this, gods of that. But she said, I want your God to be my God. But it goes, even before Naomi, and even though Naomi was choosing to be bitter, there was something about Naomi's relationship with God that stood out to Ruth. That caused Ruth to look at her and say, I want your God to be my God. Think about that. Can someone look at your life? And from your life, say, I want your God to be my God. That convicted me, challenged me as I was studying this word. I want people to be able to look at my life, see where my faith lies, and desire the same faith that I have in the God that I serve. But Ruth makes this decision, and she is a visual of total surrender, complete surrender. She gave up everything that she knew to go back to a place she had never been with her mother-in-law instead of going back to live with her own family and her own mom. She was a picture of what Paul would describe of his own life years later when he wrote his words to Philippi. If we look at that from Paul's words and put it in light of Ruth saying it and Ruth thinking it, what she considered valuable, she now considers worthless compared to knowing and being with God and in the presence of God. She discarded everything that she knew in her life to gain a place in God's family, to be a part of God. Ruth was determined to be in the presence of God and she was determined to be a part of the family of God. It's a great determination. And that determination would open up the door for what would happen next in her life. Because what she would do is she would go back to the home of Naomi and she would begin to serve her mother-in-law in the way that many people did in that day. And that would be through gleaning in the harvest fields. So what would happen, we see it in the book of Leviticus, the, the people who own these lands and they harvest these lands, they're told when you go through and you harvest these lands, you pick everything that you can, you get everything that you can in, in one trip. And what you can't get, you don't try to get more. If you drop something, you got to leave it. And the reason they did that was because it was a simple way to provide for those who were less fortunate, provide for those who didn't have their own fields to harvest from. And there's people like Ruth. And so... Ruth comes through and she begins to glean from this field. And we see this statement in Ruth chapter two, verse three. It says that Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Right? Remember Lenny, Naomi's husband, this is the one that passed away. Boaz and Elimelech, they're related That's important. We'll get to that in just a moment. But the author of of, of Ruth uses this phrase, as it happened. He uses this phrase that many of us in our finite understanding of things that happen in our life would describe this situation. It's just fortune, right? It's just fate. It's just by chance that this happens. 
When in reality, what was taking place was the sovereign hand of God was at work in this situation. You know, we, we often think of the only way something can be a miracle is if it's a dramatic occurrence, that the miracles of God are something that happened dramatically and that we, re- we realize it and we see it, right? But the sovereign hand of God at work behind the scenes in our life and we only realize it later down the road, that's just as much of a miracle. That is the supernatural work of the hand of God in our life. And he's moving and he's working. Now, there is one caveat that I would caution. It's if you're in a situation and somebody comes up and says that I believe our paths are sovereignly crossed by God because we're meant to be together. It's in those situations, maybe you pray strong for discernment or likely you do what those famous reels say. You get to that point, you run. You know, it's, 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 you got to go. You got to get out. But for Ruth, being in the right field, it was more than coincidence. It was confirmation to her that she was on the right journey. That she was where God wanted her to be. And so Ruth works very diligently in this situation in order to serve her mother-in-law. And she works, like I say, with great determination. And her heart to serve her mother-in-law earns her favor with Boaz. We look at verse five of Ruth chapter two. It says that Boaz looked at his foreman and the people working for him. And he said, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? That's a very fundamental question in this book. Who does she belong to? It's fundamental for one, in, in one circumstance for the situation now, because how Boaz saw her would determine how he would respond to her. It's very important. And once Boaz realizes who he is, he chooses to look past her being a Moabite woman. And he chooses to see her heart to serve her mother-in-law with great determination and with faithfulness. And he offers Ruth protection. And he offers her a place to continually be able to come and to glean for her family. So when Ruth goes home, she goes back to her mother-in-law and she takes back all of this that she has harvested. And Naomi looks at her and she's like, where in the world did you go? Where did you find to glean in the fields? And she tells her, well, I found this place and apparently it belongs to this guy named Boaz. And all of a sudden you see this little glimmer of hope come into the eyes of Naomi. And she makes this statement. We see it in verse 20. She says, may the Lord bless him. Naomi told her daughter-in-law, he's showing kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. How? This man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Now, this is important. The the most popular translation of that phrase, family redeemer, is kinsman redeemer. If you have a translation, that's probably what it says. That's the way it's often talked about and often translated. There's other ways that this word can be translated. And the Greek translates this word sometimes as avenger. Boaz wasn't a... I mean, it can be translated as Avenger, but, but in this situation, he is, it is literally, he is a redeemer. He is rescuing everything. He has the potential to rescue everything that has been lost to redeem it for this family. See, in those days, if you were in debt, your property was deeded out to someone else. All right. Now you had the right to be able to go back and to purchase that property, but you, you had to have the resources to be able to do it to be able to get it, right? If you couldn't, then what would happen is there would be this kinsman redeemer that could come in. There's someone that's related to you that could come in and purchase it back for you. 
This kinsman redeemer would also often protect an impoverished family member who was losing everything. They would, they would repurchase lost property. They would purchase back family members who had been sold into slavery. They would provide an heir for their male relatives. And this kinsman redeemer had to have three things. They had to have the right. In other words, they had to be related. That gives them the right to be able to redeem back anything that had been lost. They had to have the resources, which means they had to have the ability to purchase back. They had to have the wealth. And then three, they had to have the resolve. They had to have the will. They had to have the want to. Right? Well, Boaz, he's related. So in a way, he has the right. He has the resources. That's obvious when you're looking through the book of Ruth. He seems to be a very wealthy individual. Does he have the resolve? Does he have the want to? Does he have the will? When we get into Ruth chapter 3, we see this very interesting act that Naomi instructs Ruth to do. Okay? To go and lay at his feet, cover herself with his covering while he sleeps. Now, this is something that was very customary in this day. Okay? It wasn't, most understandings, it wasn't meant to be seductive. It wasn't meant to be perverse. It wasn't meant to be any of that. I would recommend ladies, young ladies today, not to use this technique, not to go to a man's bed while he's sleeping, get under at the feet and cover yourself. He will not take it the way that Boaz took this situation. I can promise you. All right? And guys, if a girl does that, run, right? I mean, that's, Okay. But this, this is what's taking because this is customary. So, so she's making known to him that you're a kinsman redeemer. We need you. And Boaz, he lets her know. He says, I'm not the closest of kin. I am a kinsman. I am a kinsman. Redeemer. I'm not the closest of kin, though. He says, there is one that's actually closer to me. He said, but I'll go talk to him for you. So when we get into Ruth chapter four, he goes and he talks to this closest of kin. He lets him know. He says, God, he says, look, there's, there's some land that you have the right to, the first rights to, to be able to purchase. And you can take this land, you can buy it and it can be yours. And he says, I'll do it. I'll take it. I want it. Give me the land. Because who don't want to build their wealth, right? I mean, we see it still in our day. And then Boaz goes on to tell him, okay, look, it does come with a Moabite woman who is a foreigner, who's not a, you know, not a part of the family of God and also a bitter mother-in-law. And then he says, well, you, you can have it. I'm, I'm not really sure that that's for me right now. It's not my play, but I mean, that is what happens in Ruth chapter four. I don't, I, I may be doing what I said. I wasn't going to do mansplaining the situation, but this because there's a lot more love that goes into this thought process of a kinsman redeemer. They want to do what they can for the family and those they're taking care of. So undoubtedly, this guy couldn't take care of the family. He might could have took the care, taken care of the land, but not the family. So, so Boaz then decides that he will take it. And Ruth's servant heart and her determination to be with her mother-in-law opened up a door for her story to be redeemed. But not just her story, Naomi's story. And we see in Ruth chapter four, we see starting in verse 13, it says, Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. And then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. 
May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and who has been better to you than seven sons. And Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. The name Obed means servant. Obed, that name, it was very fitting for him because it described exactly who Ruth had been. But not only that, it was prophetic of who would come from Obed. Ruth's story is a story of redemption. Her story demonstrates a life going from ruin to restoration because of the relentless pursuit of a redeemer. That's the gospel story. Ruth demonstrates to us that God can use least likely and unpredictable circumstances to pave the path of your life towards redemption. Ruth had everything stacked against her. She was poor. She was childless. She was from a pagan, godless culture. But the people around Naomi would declare her to be better than seven sons. See, sons in this day were ultimate because this is what carried on the family. This is, these are the ones who had the rights. The ladies had no rights to anything. The sons had the rights to everything for the family. That's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons Naomi comes back so dejected because she's coming back without a husband and without her sons. Her, her sons might have been sickly and pining, but at least they were sons. And she's coming back without them. But the people look at the circumstances and they say to Naomi, Naomi, Ruth served you in such a way that was greater than seven sons. Seven, the number of completion, the number of perfection. In other words, they're saying to her that she is more valuable to you than an infinity amount of the strongest of heroes that you could have had in your family line. Listen, we have to understand, we have to realize that God works through availability. And we need to focus more on availability than ability. The problem is if we focus more on our ability for God to work in our life and work through our life, then we're putting more emphasis on our ability rather than on God and what he can do. Just make yourself available and watch God work. And if you go back to the question that Boaz asked of Ruth, who does this young woman belong to? That question was fundamental, not just for Ruth and Boaz, but it's fundamental to our life as well. Who do you belong to? Who do you understand that your life belongs to, that your soul belongs to? Ruth realized she may have been born a Moabite. She may have grew up in a, in a culture that was godless. But she knew that there was something in her that longed for so much more that she belonged to someone else, that she was created by someone else who had a purpose for life. And Ruth wanted that God to be her God. She wanted to belong to be a part of that God. When God told the Israelites not to marry Moabite women, it's not because God hated Moabites. It's because he knew that they followed 
It was a godless culture and they would tempt the, his people to follow their ways. And it happened often. He was trying to protect them from going down a wrong road. But God shows that he loves the Moabites because he redeems Ruth. And he opens up her arms and he loves Ruth, even though she was a Moabite. He loved her just like she was. And he accepted her into his family. One of the most famous hymns, and I say one of the most famous because at the end of pretty much every Billy Graham crusade, this hymn was sung. It was the hymn, Just As I Am. It was a hymn that was uh, written by a lady by the name of Charlotte Elliott in 1834. Her brother was a pastor. And he was trying to launch this school for young ladies who couldn't afford to go to school, couldn't have a school. So they were trying to raise money for the school and they were hosting a huge bazaar to, to raise money for it, to fund it. And there were people doing all kind of work. They were, you know, cooking, they were sewing, they were creating, they were building all these different things to be a part of the bazaar, to sell at the bazaar. Except for Charlotte, she couldn't do anything because she was bedridden through an illness and through a sickness. And she would look out of her window and she would watch all these people doing all these things. And she was sitting there thinking, why can't I be used? Why can't I be used to serve and to be a part of this? And then she remembered. She remembered that God redeemed her and saved her just as she was. Just as she was in her sin. In her life without him and void of him. And she said, if God can save me just as I was a sinner, God can use me just as I am. Even though I might not be able to go out with them, he can still use me. So she penned the words to the song, just as I am. She would say, just as I am without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. That thou biddest me come to thee. Lamb of God, I come. She would say, just as I am, you will receive, will welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because your promise, I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. She knew that God wanted her just as she was. God accepted Ruth just as she was. And this book that we saw open with death ends with a genealogy of birth. Ruth chapter 4 verse 17, we see that Obed becomes the the father of Jesse and becomes the grandfather of David. Go back and you look at the genealogy that we looked at last week in Matthew chapter 1 verse 5. Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Why is that important? Because it's that lineage that leads to Jesus Christ. Through his legal earthly father, Joseph. So what does that mean? That means it opened the door for Jesus to be our kinsman redeemer. He had the right because he had the line to the throne of David. He had the resources. (laughs) He was the son of God. 
And he had the resolve. Through the joy set before him, he willingly pursued a cross so that we could be redeemed. So that what has been lost in our life because of sin could be restored and redeemed through him. He is your kinsman redeemer. And the gospel of Christ beckons you to come. Everyone who is thirsting, everything you're thirsting for in this life, that you're longing for, that you're seeking in this life, everything that you're, you're trying to get from the things that we're trying in life, the relationship with the God is the only thing that's going to fill that. And so it's calling you to come. Everybody who's thirsty, come. And he will fill it in a way that nothing else can. And he's telling you, just as you are, come. Don't wait to say, well, I need to make some change. No, come and he'll help you change. He'll work in your life. He'll reveal what needs to change. Ruth's story is a story of redemption. Her story is a part of the gospel story. And her story can be your story. God wants to redeem you. He wants to rewrite your story. He wants to repurpose your story. Will you let him Will you come to him? And will you let him do it? Stand with me this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you show us through the story of Ruth. Father, I pray that you can help us every day to serve with the determination and the faithful heart that Ruth had to serve her mother-in-law. God, I pray that we serve you in that way. Father, we make ourselves available to you to work through us. Father, I also pray that should there be anyone in this place today that has not allowed you to redeem and restore their life, that God, today be the day that they come to you doesn't matter what they did last night. It doesn't matter if they woke up this morning, not even wanting to be here today. It doesn't matter if they're sitting at home online and just happen to be, as we would call it, watching. We know that it's your sovereign hand at work. And this is your timing right now for them in their life. And you can move and you can work and you can redeem their story, God, for you. through their redemption generations can be blessed it's what happened to Ruth God her story was redeemed and the birth of Obed led to the birth of the greatest servant that would ever live and that's Jesus Christ if you're in this place today as we continue to pray and you've never come to Christ and given your life to him said in your words God I want to follow you realize I've been seeking I've been searching in the wrong places I'm a sinner I need your forgiveness change me God help help me change my life pray that prayer today let Jesus Christ be your redeemer let him rewrite your future your story your purposes 
Let him use you in a way that's going to bless generations to come through you. As we close out in worship today, I just encourage you to pray that. To say that prayer. To let God redeem you. If you've done that, just end this time today worshiping, celebrating Jesus Christ, and just continuing to seek Him that He uses you and the generations to come in your family. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccambin.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.